Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I am joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Brent Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Hello and welcome to the Reconstructed Faith podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, and while several of us are out of the office during the holidays, we are sharing valuable episodes that we hope will encourage you and remind you of truth. So in the meantime, we are busy putting together our new series that centers on politics as it relates to faith and foundations, as well as digging into tough topics under the umbrella of politics that have led people to question their faith and deconstruct. So we hope you enjoy the episode, and we can't wait to jump into our new series soon. Today we're talking kind of about heaven and hell and other hard topics um, that um, that not only people who uh, are not Christians or professing believers in Christ deal with, but people even within um, the church deal with. And so mm-hmm. I think this is this is valuable for me, and I know that this is going to be valuable for other people. So um, Chris shared, actually, you just shared, somebody sent you a slide that had kind of a some st- a, a stat with Pew Research on that. I don't know if you want to just share that, and then we can kind of dive in. Yeah. Just this morning, I got a, an email from someone who was quoting a Pew Research report, and um, it, it was dealing apparently with the problem of evil, but it also had some interesting data on what people believe about who can go to heaven. And the survey showed... 39% of adults believe one can go to heaven without any belief in God. That's just of adults. Right. Yeah. But of professing evangelicals, um, you always have to clarify that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it still said 21% of evangelicals hold that same belief, that you don't have to believe in God and you're going to end up in heaven. So that would be an example of what a lot of people want to believe is true. And again, that's that I think is another hard issue that people have to wrestle with of why why God would allow someone who's religious or even just believes in a God or what if they never heard the name of Jesus, like they're going to mm-hmm. end up in hell just because an accident of birth or geogra- you know right. geography. Right. Sorry, you just lived in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, but then also just what about what if your religion really seems to be working for you and it makes you a better person? you're genuine, you're sincere, you're devout, um, all those things. I think, again, you're coming back to someone who is, you know, has a heart. They're like, but yeah, I, I really would be, t- it'd be terrible to think of these people not making it to heaven. So yeah. why can't God just let them all in? <laughs> so I think that's part of the objection. Yeah. Hard topics. That's yeah. right. But great. Yeah. Okay. These well, thank you for topics. your willingness to, to talk about these. Um, Chris, like you want to, you want to jump in real quick? Man, I don't even know where to start with these. Yeah. Um it it is you know one one aspect I guess I guess we can start by talking about heaven and hell conversations. Um so here's here's where I feel like I'm most comfortable starting about the conversations about heaven and hell and we'll come back to maybe even what the Bible does say about heaven and hell and I um, mean that as well. Um and and you know we know we're we're moving into kind of a new world where we're starting to 
you, there's, there's not anyone who has any insight on heaven and hell outside of revelation. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe you could argue that people who've had near death experiences might, but beyond that, there's not, there's not another source for information. And so we're going to have to go to, uh, scriptures for this. But one of the scriptures that's really important to me about this topic of heaven and hell actually has to do with who decides who goes to heaven and hell. So I'm going to reference a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. It's the famous parable of what's called the, the wheat and the tares. <clears throat> and um, in, this, in this, Jesus references this idea of, of an enemy coming and sowing tares in with someone's wheat. So it's Matthew 13, 24 through 30. And then even more importantly, Jesus then interprets the parable in 36 through 43. Um, and so in, in this idea that there are, so the, the picture is created that this wheat and this tear, these tears are growing together. And um, it's actually one of my favorite moments in Israel trips. What is a tear? I'm about to tell you. Oh, one of my ahead. favorite moment in Israel trips. It's when you're shirt and you have a little rip. Exactly right. Exactly right. You call that a tear. I'm sorry. That's all right. No, I told you to interrupt me. Remember, I said you got to do it to remind people that I'm not just. Uh, so, um, it's a great moment, and we um, where there's a place where we go, especially the time of year we go, where there's grass growing. It's about hip height all over the place, and I tell people reach out and grab a big handful and yank hard. And then I go through and show everybody, okay, that's wheat, that's tares. That's wheat, that's tares. And we're near harvest season, and we go. We're just a couple of months from harvest season. And so you can start telling the difference between them. A few weeks before, a few months before, you can't at all. And and it's not until harvest that you can tell them apart. And the and the the, the boss man in the story, um, the the students are, I mean, the, the, uh, the workers come to him and say, hey, there's a bunch of tares that have been sown in the midst of your wheat do you want us to go in and start trying to pull up the tares so that they don't compete with the wheat? And the guy says, no, verse 29, no less than gathering the weeds, you root up wheat along with them. Let both grow together until harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat in my barn. So then he comes down. So in verse 36, he starts interpreting this. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. So here Jesus is dividing out the entire world into those who are still on Satan's team, meaning anyone who, because we start on his team, um, anyone who is who has not converted over to following the kingdom of God, but instead who are still following the mindset of the world and mm-hmm. figuratively or literally the devil and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. And so the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. So he, he, verse 40 is the weeds are gathered and burned with fire. So will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels. They will gather out of the kingdom, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers um, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And so he's going to talk about in the midst of this, he's talking about this whole section is about him talking about claiming people who, you know, the next section of the little verse is going to be about him, him gathering treasure out of a field. It's wild that this whole section is about Jesus seeing us as treasure, seeing us as a pearl of great price, seeing us as fish scattered around the world that he's going to gather together. So in the context of that, he then says, 
and they're all mixed in, believers and non-believers, followers and non-followers, and we are not allowed to decide. That's for the end of the age. That's for the end to decide. And so we don't get to say when someone says, How is so, you know, my father just died, is he going to heaven? Like, I don't I don't get a vote. I don't have the necessary mm-hmm. insight. Um, I don't know if it was the last podcast or when, when they're, what order they're playing, but, but we talked about how we don't know, uh, you know, we don't have the information we need to understand human suffering. Well, we sure don't have the information we need to, to make judgments on people's eternal status. Only God can do that. We mm-hmm. cannot make that call. And I think these parables actually directly forbid us from making the call. Um, I don't, I don't remember who it was. Was it, was it, Donahue or one of the others who he would have Christian leaders and others on and he would ask them, so would you say I'm going to hell? I don't know if that was Phil Donahue or who that was, who would do that. And, and it, it seemed like no matter how the person answered, it was bad. Like they were going right. to get ripped by somebody. And mm-hmm. so, you know, a, a really hardline conservative guy is like, well, yeah, Phil, you're going to hell or, or maybe it was, um, King, Larry King, Larry King oh, may have done yeah, it. Yeah, maybe yeah. someone did it anyway. <clears throat> But they would ask that question. So anyway, that and or but if someone hemmed and hawed it all, then they got they got ripped on for not being clear enough. And I always I always thought if I was ever on his show, one of those shows, and was asked that, I would just defer to this passage and say, I, I don't I don't get to vote. I don't get a say in that. I don't get. I mean, I can tell you how you can know God forever. I can tell you that I know the path out, but I can't know the status of your relationship with God. Only God knows that. And, and maybe you. And so understand we're not, we're not on this podcast. We're not going to say, Hey, this person who did this bad thing, well, we know where they go because we don't, mm-hmm. or this, these people who are nice people, these awesome, nice people, well, we know where they're going to go. Like, no, we don't. And um, we know very little about this and God doesn't seem to be interested in our input, which you can imagine again, Back to the analogy, which like maybe you heard a week ago or something about, you know, the, the oil, oilographer, the oceanographer, mm-hmm. you know, paleontologist, whatever. I don't know how impressed they were with Kevin Costner's idea for how to fix an oil leak. And so I just think God's not interested in our opinion when it comes to judgment, which is, you know, really smart of him because we're terrible with that kind of stuff. And that may answer more of our questions as we move through this. So that's why I wanted to start there. But you'll notice that the reference to being burned with fire is right there in this passage. Mm-hmm. So thoughts on hell. H H E double hockey sticks. Well, I mean, you <clears throat> if you've been to Israel, you begin to learn about what Gehenna meant. Yeah, and um, it was kind of the big trash heap. Okay. Um, is it located outside of the city? Is it in yeah? Which side is it? On? South, 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 south yeah. of Jerusalem. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and they just had it burning. I mean, it's where they're burning their garbage and mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff. And so that was was it always burning? I feel or like was it, it just like was an the, ongoing. The implication, yeah. What what uh, historians from that time talked about, and this probably was true of most cities, most giant cities, especially cities that had a hundred thousand people in them. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no there's no running. I mean, there was some running sewage in Jerusalem, but for yeah. a long time there wasn't. And, and you have animals dying mm-hmm. and people dying and, and stuff being, you know, that needs to be thrown away. And so mm-hmm. they would throw it over the wall towards the south or haul it over there. And the implication is there was always filled with flies and maggots. It, it, there, there was debate over what all went there, especially around a Jewish culture. But yeah. 
were there dead animals? Maybe. Was there human waste? Probably. Were there, you know, whatever. I mean, all kinds of just everything that's gross in the world. Mm -hmm. And so it was there and allegedly was on fire kind of all the time and, and was always filled with flies and maggots and, and carrion eaters and all kinds of just everything that's, and that's, it was south of the town for a reason. So that the, the prevailing winds and the, Mm. the water runoff and all that kind of stuff would all head downstream. Yeah. Stay away from the wells and stuff. Anyway, but yeah, that was Gehenna, the Valley of, uh, the Hinnon Valley. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to remember or to note that Jesus actually talked more about hell or alluded to hell hell, more than heaven. Mm -hmm. Uh, So many parables end with the casting, they're cast out, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, those kinds of things. Mm. Um, Which I think is just a great example of, he's, he's doing that for a reason. There's a warning. And even though, like, like Chris said, even in this parable that we don't, we can't always know that there's a warning, like, but you, but there is a way out. We do know right. how an individual can avoid that and how right. God has provided a way to avoid that, that, that judgment. So it's interesting, even the, the nature of hell, we know that it's this picture of hell. Well, there's a few things it's not. I think maybe we should say that it's yeah. not like Satan is in charge. Oh no! And he's their torch, and that's a lot of far side jokes are like yeah. that comic things. I'm just gonna go, or I think the thought is like, well, it's just all the bad people hanging out, right? Well, that that all, if I understand it, most of that comes from Dante's Inferno, Inferno. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, which is the um, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven, mm-hmm. right? Mindset. As if that's the choice Satan was making is, yeah. do I serve in heaven or do I reign in my own kingdom of hell? Hell is not a place where Satan right. parties. It was created for the devil yeah. and his angels. Jesus to, said beast to suffer, uh-huh. to be uh-huh. punished. It's, it's not their home where they go punish people. Yeah. They, they are the main people being punished. So all of those pictures of demons tormenting humans, right. none of that is biblical. Not, right. yeah. I mean, zero. It's really wild because most people think of hell. Yeah. It's, it's one of the things you even hear about when people do the near-death experiences, and sometimes Christians even just accept this, like, oh, yeah, this, this person spent 13 minutes in hell or whatever it is, and... <laughs> And they come back and they tell stories of being tormented by demons. And I'm like, well, then it wasn't hell. I mean, I don't, I don't know what yeah. you experienced, but I is that where the you Bible's get the whole input. like the circles of hell? Yes. Is that where you get that? Yeah, that all comes Mindset. from. That's all. And the further down you go, the worse. Yeah, the sinners were. And okay. Things like that. And and we don't know. Are there levels to hell? I mean, it's not irrational, but we don't. Right. That is we not broken know. down for right. us. Right. Right. Yep. Okay. So it is not it is not a place where people go to be tormented by demons. It's not a place where you get to hang out with all your other Yeah, now you friends. get to live like you want to live. Yeah, it's not it is it's it's a place where God's it's it's not even so people talk about it and I understand this. People talk about it in terms of it's it's it rep, it's represented by the absence of God. Mm. But even that's not technically true. God is omnipresent. What it represents is the wrath of God. Mm. It would be better if God wasn't there at all. But the truth is God's God's wrath is being poured out there against sin and death and his, the rebe- rebellion against him. And so, mm. that's so that's the actual so, picture. So why did we, why did you bring up that part? Like the, the dump South of Jerusalem, is that use, oh, is that good. imagery? Yeah, yeah. That's the word that, that is used um, to, that we translate as hell a lot of oh, times okay. is the word Gehenna. Right. Um, oh, okay. Is, is that word. And so again, Jesus listeners would have been like, Oh my goodness. It's like that. Gotcha. That, that's what they would, they would just say that that would be equivalent or that's, that's mm, okay. the, the word that became known for hell. Okay. 
Thank you for unpacking Yeah, that's that. good. Yeah. He's, he uses the imagery mm-hmm. of Gehenna. Right, because it's something that they were acutely aware of. Yeah. And right. they it's a part of their culture. Okay, yeah. cool. And we know that it's different anyways, that it's described as darkness, mm-hmm. but there's also flames. And so you go, but flames right. create light. So you start to go, okay, this is all imagery yeah. yep. of suffering and hopelessness. And, and um, I, I think a lot of regret when Jesus told the parable of, the rich man and Lazarus, you've right. got you've got that insight there at least where the the rich man's realizing how terrible it was and and if you could send Lazarus back to tell my family mm-hmm. to warn my family because he doesn't want them. So it's not like again, he's just sitting there separate. He's actually in torment, it actually says. Right. So there's a lot of regret. But even then, he's still selfish. <laughs> if you read that, yep. he's actually giving commands. He's like Send Abraham over here, or well, then send. I mean, send Lazarus to me. He's right. talking to Abraham, uh, or well, then send Lazarus to my. And he's like still all about mm-hmm. what what he wants and his agenda and his his program. Man, but yeah. it, it's okay. uncomfortable. And, it, and I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll be honest and just say I really, really dislike the thought of anyone. Yeah, me too. Suffering mm-hmm. forever because you're just like, can it be? You know, the idea that once you've paid for everything, like why? And I think that's a yeah. big objection too, is why does it sure. have to be forever? And here's here's the, so the part of when we talk about some of the doctrines of Christianity, there's aspects that are that are pretty clear, like that there is a hell. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like you would have to toss out so much of the teachings of Jesus Christ and the motivations of the teachings of Jesus Christ in order to deny the existence of this place of torment of punishment. Mm -hmm. Now the mechanics of hell, we actually know very little about. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why it's left room open for people to, to guess at and hope for that. Maybe there is an end point. Mm -hmm. Um, Now hell is forever. Whether or not each individual person is there forever is debated in Christian circles and, and justifiably debated. Um, now the truth is the way it's described, you wouldn't want anyone that you love to be there for three minutes. I mean, you wouldn't want to be there for any period of time, Mm -hmm. but this is, this has led to all kinds of language and books and fiction that they kind of toys with the idea of could people escape this torment somehow, or do at some point they become annihilated. They just don't exist at all in anywhere or and those type of questions. And I, I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of room for conversation in Christianity and even serious biblical scholarship when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I hope that's the case. I, I hope it is the case that, that no one is there forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to really, this was one of my main questions for several years was why even 70 years of absolute horrific rebellion would earn me an eternity of punishment. That doesn't seem to fit. But what you just referenced, Chris, about that parable, and and uh, as is often the case when you read and and read a lot and listen a lot to to different authors and and speakers, they'll put these things in context because they've thought it through, and you realize, oh, I just hadn't gotten to that point yet of realizing. And and one person, and I think it was Dr. Craig, was the first one I ever heard say it. William Lane Craig reference. Well, the presumption is that they continually defy God and rebel against Him for eternity. Mm-hmm. And that they're still in defiance and still hateful and still rebellious and still whatever, that they still don't bend the will um, to him, even in hell. Now, that seems impossible to me to imagine, um, although I've seen some pretty stiff-necked people in, in around the world that, that are not going to give up on their denial no matter what. But, yeah. man, 
That's the, I think that's one option. And I think that story shows that, that you still have a man who is egocentric, cares only about the people he cares about, cares mostly about his own torment. And nothing seems to change about him in his experience in hell. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a parable. You have to be careful with how much doctrine you build on it. <clears throat> yeah. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it is all through. I was looking for a few of the passages um, that reference this, um, this idea. Matthew uh, 10, 28 is a pretty... Um, that where Jesus references, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. And, uh, and that's Gehenna, the word there, mm-hmm. body in hell. And so we, we see that all through this. The, the Matthew is a really, Jesus' teaching on hell is, is pretty common in Matthew. Yeah. And a simple search can, um, can bring those up. And what, again, what you'll see without, in my opinion, without any option really is that there, there is such a place for, of hell mm-hmm. and that it is forever. Um, and you get places like Matthew 25, 46 that references part, part of the issue is the Greek word that we translate forever or eternal is the essentially the word eon. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to know when eon means a period of time, a spate of time or forever time. Yeah. And so it just, th- there is room to wrestle with that biblically, but that there is a place mm-hmm. to be punished, I don't think is open to really interpretation yeah. of that. Yeah, which also is a great reminder. That's why Jesus talked about it so much. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, because if I love you, I will give you warnings. <laughs> if right. the bridge is out up ahead, I'm because I love you, I'll let you know. I'll warn you um, because I don't want you to. You know? Right. And it's, it's okay, so we got a comment. This is one of my, when we talk about hell, one of the things that's interesting to me is is when people say, but why would God create hell in the first place? Like, mm-hmm. what would be, what's, why is that okay? I mean, why just make it at all? Like, mm-hmm. and then they have to warn us about it. Well, why then, why take the bridge out? Right. And then right. warn people about taking the bridge out. And, and it's interesting, there's an innate knowledge in us that some people deserve to go there. And that's a, there, there's, when you ask people like, so, so you think no one should have to, everybody should be in heaven. Like everybody. So Joseph Stalin, you're okay with him being there in heaven. Like you're okay with Joseph, with all these child abusers who we talked about how awful it is that God allows this child abuse to happen. You're okay with not only him allowing this child abuse to happen, but then to never, ever put that person on account. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you abused children your whole life. You murdered people. You, you ate them. You, you, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And welcome to paradise with everybody else. And there's an innate sense in us that rebels against that. I think say, no, they, I mean, they need to pay, they need to pay for that somehow. I mean, you can't live a whole life like that and they're not right. There's a, there is a just God and he, he again is going to call evil mm-hmm. to account at some point. And we all want him to do that. We just only want him to do it the way we want him right. to do it. Yes. Okay. Yes. Hitler, Hitler's got it. Okay. Yeah. Hitler and Stalin and, you know, Ted Bundy, like, like you do yeah. the list of yeah. who are the worst examples and they should all go, but <clears throat> obviously not me. Right. right. Because I'm, I mean, I'm not that bad. I'm not, I'm not like one of them. Mm-hmm. And so we think we should be able to create the standards for judgment. And then we always somehow make the standard of judgment north of us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Anyway. Yep. Yeah. The Matthew 25 is where he says, 
Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's mm. right. So that's what the origin of it was. That's but right. This is a slight aside, but yes. th- I'm curious because some people believe it like, how do you answer when somebody said, well, did Jesus descend into hell? That that whole conversation really comes from a very narrow passage. Super narrow? Super narrow. Okay. Um, the, yeah, First Peter. We yeah. just talked about that in a That's sermon. That's true. Not okay. That long yeah, ago. Yes. 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 Um, and and I I don't think that's referencing descending into hell. Right. Um, and and I I think it, what's interesting because the the Apostles' Creed did not include the phrase descended into hell, and then later it was added in uh-huh. that he descended into hell. And I think mm-hmm. I, I honestly think that's probably just a un, unintentional, probably well motivated, just in misinterpretation of a passage. Yeah. Now, it's not impossible that Jesus descended into hell. I'm not saying that couldn't have happened. Right. Um, in fact, there's a certain logic to the idea of him taking the sins of mankind into hell and then kind of dropping them off like Santa with a bag and then leaving. Like, I'm, I have now sent all of the sins yeah. to hell. Um, but there's also some theological problems with it as well. So I, I just... I, I don't think that's the best interpretation. Yeah. And, and if, as for when, you know, when you're making up something from silence, sure. I mean, that's kind of a fun thought to consider would Jesus have gone to hell and what would that mean? Right. But I don't, I think it's a, I think it's an academic question without a lot of okay real basis. Yeah. A couple of years ago, we went through first Peter with our young professionals Bible study. <clears throat> and after we got through that and I said, no, this is the only place where people get that idea from. One of the girls was like, you're kidding. <laughs> right. Like this whole idea is all based on, because she could see how it's not clear right. in that passage what exactly happened. But she really thought, well, somewhere else, right? It says that Jesus went down into hell. No. Um, yeah. In fact, the other one they look to is about the whole, um, uh, I guess, is it John 3 talks about if he ascended, he must also have descended. Right. And But that's descended to the earth. Yeah, Ephesians 5, uh, 4. Is that where that is? Um, I'm blanking on where that is. Um, so that's right. That's right. Ephesians four, eight, and nine. And so he, uh, yeah, that, that's a, again, oh, that's right. The John three, when it's kind of the, I'm the only one who's been there right? is where he talks about that, but yeah. he's talking about heaven, I think at that point, but, <coughs> um, yeah, there's, 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 there's really nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and again, it's not saying that it's wrong. It's just saying, I, I'm just saying, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying there's not good scriptural evidence for it in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, um, back to the conversation, mm-hmm. you know, of the idea that God would, could create this place. It makes sense that he would create a place for punishment of evil. And then, then the question that we run into that was uh, my, before one of my early questions. So I still wrestle with the doctrine of hell. I assume I always will. Um, I'm not comfortable with it. I don't like it. Um, that doesn't, as we've talked about before, that has no bearing on whether it's true, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> because I don't, I don't understand justice as fully as God does. But, um, uh, but one of the questions I had for a long time was, what about people who have never heard about God? Um, man, it really seems unjust mm-hmm. to say, not only have I created this place called hell to punish the non-believer, to punish the rebel, um. But also, man, there's going to be a lot of people really blindsided by this. Right. Like, mm. oh my gosh, I was I was a devout Buddhist. I was a devout follower of the One Spirit. Mm-hmm. 
before there ever was a church for a million years, or, you know, whatever that right. that time, whatever you know, whatever you believe about the time periods, that I mean, there have to have been millions of human beings who never met a Jew or a Christian mm-hmm. who were born, lived, and died, and that that still happens today. And how awful for those people to just turn up in hell, right? So, help me out there. Mr. Sherrod. <laughs> well, there's a He few, called you an expert earlier, uh, so I liked partner in crime better than pair of experts, yeah. but uh, yeah, go for it. I think related to what you just said, you can't be held, first of all, you can't be held accountable to know Jesus if you've never heard of him. Like, it's, you can't be held responsible for something you've literally never heard. Right. So it's not like you're going to stand there and he goes, what did you do with my son Jesus? And they're like, who, Jesus who? Yeah, exactly. So I, why should I let you into my heaven? Right. So part of me goes back to Romans one that says, okay, so what does Romans one teach us about yep. how people respond to the general revelation? And so the, the argument that people make about it's this idea, this assumption that there's all of these people all over the world searching for God and they just can't find him. Like that's, that's kind of implied sometimes in that, in that objection. And what Romans one says is the truth is People see that this is pointing to a God, right? but I don't like it. And so they suppress that truth. Like that's in Romans one, what he's talking about is God has made himself plain or clear through his creation. And it says, but people suppress that truth and they turn to their own Mm. way of thinking. They come up. So I already disagree with the idea that there's all these people that sincerely want to just, just show me how to get there and I'll get there. I think the, the, the teaching there in Romans 1 still goes back to the heart of the problem, mm. which is the heart, in that people, even if they see that that's the, where the evidence points, they don't want it. Mm. Um, and I think the other way I respond to that objection, by the way, is if someone says, what about the innocent people who never hear about you know, Jesus? I, my answer actually is innocent people go straight to heaven. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Right. All the innocent ones go oh, straight to the, heaven. That's right. The issue is yeah. we're not innocent. But. <laughs> right. And then I guess that also comes back to the idea that, or not the idea, the truth that God is omniscient. And so right. it's like, not only God doesn't just know what he's doing. He knows exactly the decisions that we're making and why we are making them. Sure. And all those things. I, I really think in, Chris is familiar with this. I really do. I am fascinated by William Lane Craig's position on, of middle knowledge. <laughs> Just yes. that idea seems so interesting because Molina yep. was the guy's name, right? That he, that he, uh, so what, wait, Molina's so w- where he lived. What is, what is middle knowledge? Can you like summarize it really quickly? Yeah. Uh, I think it's Alfred Molina. Is that, Whatever it is. No, okay. no, no. Alfred Molina is the actor. Uh, let me, <laughs> let me find. I should know this Don't look that uh, up. real quick. Uh, Molinism and named after... Um, Isn't he a Jesuit priest? Louis de Molina. So, okay. Louis of Molina. Was was he a priest? Am uh-huh. I right? Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Uh, a Roman Catholic theologian, Spanish Jesuit priest. Okay. So it's the idea that God not only knows what what will happen, but what would happen. Mm. Um, and so it's this middle knowledge. And th- there's an yep. interesting basis for it in First Samuel 23, where David yes. is in this the city of Keilah, if I'm saying it right. I think that's right, yeah. Um, and he's inquiring of the Lord, because Saul's chasing him, as usual. 
Yep. <laughs> and he says, Lord, if I, if I go into this city, will Saul pursue me there? And God says he will. And then he asks, if, if that happens, will the people of Keilah turn me over to Saul? And God right. says they will. And so David leaves Keilah. Right. So none of that ever happens. And so the argument is that God is so omniscient. He not only knows what will happen for sure, but what mm. could happen or what would happen. And so now you're back to this, well, the, like the movie Minority Report. Right. Of, of you're arresting people for things that they right. would do, but then you stop them before they do it. But anyways, middle knowledge is the idea that related to this topic, mm. that um, anyone who never hears the name of Jesus is kind of a foreknown rejecter. Mm. Right. In other words, God already knows that even if you tell them about Jesus, they're not going to receive it. And so you couple that with Acts 17, which teaches that God determines when and where people show up in history. Mm -hmm. So the idea is because he knew, let's just pick some Native American right. walking bear way back before any missionaries mm -hmm. got there. <laughs> if God knew that walking bear would never accept the name, would never accept Jesus as his savior, even if he heard it, then it's okay for him to be born and to live in a time where he never hears it. Right. Because he's a foreknown rejecter. So it's completely fair as long as you believe that God has perfect knowledge. Right. That all I knowledge. know for yeah, all knowledge that I know for certain he won't hear it. Yep. So that the struggle with us is we just go, but what if you're wrong? Like we, we struggle <laughs> right. with that, yeah, but exactly. it's like, no, but if God really knows. So is that explaining it? That's yeah, well it's, it's the idea that God God not only knows the future but he also he knows all possible futures and yeah. which ones will happen and won't so that mm. you don't have him saying to David well I don't I don't know what would happen if if you stayed in the city cuz you're leaving mm -hmm. I mean you're going to leave so who who knows what would have happened if you'd stayed there actually are numerous places like um, woe to you, Chorazin, woe oh, yeah. to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon they would have repented yeah so in other words God knows what would have happened in Tyre and Sidon if counterfactuals, if other things had happened than what did happen. Wow. And so, and we see that in multiple places, actually. It's not uncommon in the Bible to see God say, this would have happened under these conditions. And so here's what you're left with. The, the, so I'm a, there's, if you want to go online, I have a spot where mm. I not only do I explain it, but then I link to Dr. Craig's explanation okay. uh, at chrismleg.com. If you look up middle knowledge, um, uh, I've got a place where I explain it and I, we may even have it on video somewhere at the church. I've certainly done it in those talks on well, the Q and A's on Wednesday night. It always comes up right? because there's so many different things that this interacts with. Um, so I'll explain it quickly and then we'll get back to the original question. But yeah, this is a, the, the quick version is God, when God created, he had a truly blank canvas. So when God says, I'm going to create, he had a literal, like he could have created anything under any condition being who he is. But as he starts creating factuals about his creation, saying, okay, there's going, logic is going to be a thing in my creation. Logical coherency is going to be a thing. That's an example. Um, material things will exist. There'll be actual material objects. You know, every time he does this, he's now limiting his own creation according to his own knowledge, his own will, his own everything. Mm -hmm. No one's telling him to do this. He just is. Well, every time he does this, he's now creating a massive list of counterfactuals. I could have made a world without logic, and it would have looked like this. I rejected that option. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> That's big picture. Now you narrow, 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 narrow to where he says, 
Um, I'm going to, let's see, there's a universe that I could create in which Colson doesn't come to the podcast on December 6th. And there's a universe in which he does. Mm-hmm. That is immediately a counterfactual. But the most important one that many of us would say is that he said, I'm going to create a universe in which there is a race of beings that have the freedom to reject me. Maybe to accept me, but at least to reject me. And the minute he does that, all the different options are out there to say, okay, there's going to be a lot of people who reject him then. And, and many people argue that say, for example, in Second Peter, when it says that God's not willing that any should perish, um, it's his will that everyone would come to know him. Mm-hmm. But the problem is he created a universe where he believed freedom was worth the cost. And so he created this universe. He's God. He's sovereign. He gets to do that kind of stuff. And he created a universe where there's actual choice, actual freedom. And so there were maybe billions of possible universes in which I rejected mm. him. I would assume in the vast majority of universes, I rejected him. Mm. In the universe that he ended up creating, he knew the pro- every single step that would need to have to happen to convince me to freely put my faith in him. And as Chris was saying, there, there would rationally then be people who have true freedom who in no universe would they accept him. Now, this doesn't solve all the questions that people would have, like, well, then mm-hmm. why create them in the first place? There's, there's plenty of still questions there. But this would easily explain why God, why human beings could have freedom and God could still be sovereign mm. and we could freely choose and he could whatever. It even, it even touches on the problem of suffering. When you say God knows what would have happened in the universe when I didn't face that suffering. Mm-hmm. He knew what would happen in all the universes if I didn't face that. And it, then it creates a, a fascinating ethical dilemma of that if you knew that, that Colson, if you knew that the, the Wednesday night, if, if Emma, my daughter, comes up to church, she's going to get hit by a car and have both her legs broken. Mm. Well, if you somehow supernaturally knew that, you would feel obligated to warn me. Right. But if you also knew that if Emma's legs weren't broken on Thursday, she was going to get hit by a car and killed. Mm. And that if you warn me, you happen to know that if you warn me, I'll keep her home and then she'll be killed. Then you're put in the ethical dilemma of, Do I, of not warning me yeah. to keep her alive, but I'm sure not going to be happy about that. Right. You go, oh yeah, I knew she was going to get her legs broken. Well, yeah. Like, Wait, I'm sorry, what? You knew your, my daughter was going to have her legs broken and you didn't warn me? Yeah. And then how do you convince me? But if we hadn't have done that, she would have died the next day. You see, and so when right. we're judging God in regards to problem of suffering, mm. we're questioning a series of conversations. The thing I wanted to mention in the, in the last one that I forgot about, but this still applies very much here, is this idea of getting into judgment, which we're talking about. Mm. And essentially, God, you know, we're watching a tapestry be made from the back, and it just looks mm. like random threads all over the place. It looks like this huge mess from our perspective. Yeah. But then when the day comes and God turns the tapestry around and says, here's what I was creating, and we're all of humanity able to say, okay, that was, that's right. That's, that's just. That's righteous. Yep. Anyway, that's middle knowledge. It, it, we could spend multiple yeah. podcasts on it because it's got lots of consequences. And, for example, all of the Calvinists who are listening right now are, are yelling <laughs> at the car going right. like, no, Molinism. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. right. they, they have issues with Molinism. But, um, so uh, all of that to say, we will, we will link that in the show notes. Yes. We'll link. Chris, chrismleg.com, and then you also re- refer back to... Yeah, to Dr. Craig's okay. material. Cool. I want to come back, though, before we leave it to this question of judgment. This one, once again, was answered for me in a, almost a single sentence, which I should have looked up and I don't have it handy. Maybe one of y'all can grab it real quick. But what C.S. Lewis says about the issue of problem of no one hearing 
And so me summarizing it in, in Chris Legg version of, of it is the C.S. Lewis, in, it's in Mere Christianity, and he essentially says either God can judge rightly or he cannot. If God can judge rightly, then we can leave him to do it. If he can't judge rightly, and this is where I know I'm paraphrasing him, is that it's some version of like, we're all hosed. <laughs> I mean, like, like we're to, if he can't judge rightly, then we have no hope. I mean, we're, right. we're, we're like, you know, uh, turn out the lights, the party's over, yep. you know, blow the whistle out of the pool. There's no hope for any of us. And what I realized for myself was with this question, what had haunted me all these years is, was really fundamentally pride mm. in that I thought I was going to solve a problem that had not yet been solved, which was, okay, what are you going to do with mentally handicapped people, babies, uh, converts, brain damaged people, people who are Christians and they get hit in the head and then they deconvert right. because they get right. hit in the head. Like, or they have Alzheimer's or something like that. Yeah. All of these questions yeah. that when you go, and I honestly think guys that I had in my head, I hate to confess this, that I was going to be in judgment someday. And the first Comanche was going to come. The first Incan was going to be called up in front of God and God was going to go, well, no one told me there were going to be Incans here. I mean, how, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Like, They've never met my son. They never saw my word. Like, I don't, what, what are you doing? Like somebody throw me a freaking bone, right? right. Exactly. If somebody helped me out here and I was going to raise my hand somewhere up in the stands and go, I've, I've, I've been thinking about this uh-huh. because what I realized with C.S. Lewis's words was, I don't know how God's going to judge an Incan, but I'll bet he knows. <laughs> I'll bet, I'll bet so he's already solved this problem. Right. The fact that I don't know how he's going to do it isn't super relevant to whether he knows. Yeah. And so I I think that's the fundamental. Did you did you, did you find it? I'm I'm just looking up. Okay, I'll have to find it. We'll, we'll mention it in another podcast or link to it or something. It's in Mere Christianity and I found it before, but and I think that what that means is no one is going to stand before God and end up saying that's not fair. Right. Like they're going to see completely this is completely just. This is just. This is completely fair. Yeah. And when we understand justice enough, that'll, and so I think, yes, I think that's the case. I think, well, like, like Romans one says, he has revealed mm-hmm. enough for us to be accountable for. Mm-hmm. Is it the same for everybody? No, obviously not. And to more, whom more is given, more is required. But um, there's principles of justice he's given. Which us. is related to that. A lot of times I think people throw out that objection as a smokescreen. Now, again, people might genuinely care mm-hmm. about, oh, I feel so bad for people who, never heard about Jesus, but mm-hmm. I've also found a lot of times that's just their excuse for them not to make a decision mm. or to hold that against. That's why I'm, I'm not a Christian or that's why I'm holding right. out or that's why, which again, that's where I'm, I'm going, but you've heard the truth now. What are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do, do with it? Yeah. Great point. Mm. Yeah. The issue of, of sincerity though is because our culture is so big on your personal autonomy mm-hmm. and you be you and you get to be whatever and you, and get, to you be genuine, get to and you get to decide on your truth. You get to decide on your truth. That's why people immediately mm-hmm. don't even want to hear your reasons mm-hmm. why Jesus could be the only way it's because, but yeah. live and let live. Like who are you to say? And don't, you can't say they're wrong. Um, Paul even said in, in Romans 10, he just goes, man, I just wish my fellow Jews who are still depending on the law Mm. I, I would rather some, if, if I could swap places with them, I would, but he says actually in Romans 10, I think it's in verse two, where he just says, I can testify that they are zealous mm-hmm. for God. Like they are really devout, but what he goes on and explains is, but their zeal isn't, isn't based on 
truth. It's it's based on still self righteousness. They're still trying to establish their own righteousness, and mm-hmm. that's that's what the issue comes down to. Is God is going to punish all sin, and I think your options are either you're going to pay for them or let Jesus pay for them. Mm. But God mm. is going to be just, and that's where in His beautiful yep. plan. He said, there's a way for me to, and Romans 3 talks about this, be both just and the justifier of sinners, that I can let sinners go while upholding my justice. Mm. And that's what the cross is all about. So you get someone who lives the life I should have lived and dies the death I should have died. And so justice is served. And so that big fancy word of propitiation that we don't use a whole lot is right. such a precious word because it means the satisfaction of God's wrath. That it that for me as a believer, it's not that God withheld his wrath for my sins. Mm. He poured out his wrath fully for my sins. It just wasn't on me. It was on his son. Yeah. In other words, what he should have been doing to me, he did to his son. Mm-hmm. And that's my only hope. And so that's where even Paul in Philippians 3 says, not my, my, the way I think of it is not having a righteousness of my own that comes by works of the law, but that which is by faith in, in Jesus. So... That's that's part of the problem. My God is perfect and demands perfection. His His holiness demands perfection, and I can't offer it. And His justice demands that my sins be punished, and I can't bear it. So that's my dilemma. Right. The solution right. comes with Jesus. And so the problem with any other, for example, religious leader, Gandhi or Muhammad or Buddha, anybody, right. they all have the same problem I have. Right. Of sin. Even Mother Teresa, you know, right? Yeah. I always pick her out. She's the one that you can always have your <laughs> yeah, example. Exactly. Of. I'm no Mother Teresa, but I'm no Hitler. Like you're always <laughs> in the middle between. of the two. Yeah. <laughs> but they all have the same problem, and so that's what makes Jesus unique, in that He's the only one who didn't have my same problem, and God provided Him as this substitute. Yeah. Sinless life, sin bearing death in my place that He offers as a free gift, which is what Christmas is all about. The 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 argument against Christianity because it's exclusive has always been interesting to me in that we, we, um, we, it's based on the assumption that God must not have an opinion on Mm. these things. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of, of religion, if, if religion is everybody, so if I told you guys, I wanted to buy flowers for ginger and said, what do you think I should get her? I mean, y'all's opinions are equally invalid. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not buying them for you. I'm buying them for her. And so unless you've got some kind of supernatural insight into her preferences, you're going to be wrong. I mean, if you say, if you go, man, roses, that's what my wife likes best. Like, well, that's great. I'm not, it's not her I'm buying flowers for. And it's just intriguing to me that, that we take that right from God, that God doesn't get to have preferences Mm -hmm. and priorities. God doesn't get to say, no, no, I'm God. So you worship me this way. If religion is just everybody guessing at what kind of flowers to buy God, then yeah, everybody's mm-hmm. opinion is equally valid slash invalid. Um, but if God has said, these are the kind of flowers I like, well, then those are the kind of flowers we probably ought to, ought to get him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if God says, if humans are coming up with it, then yeah, every route is just as good as every other route, meaning they're all worthless um, because we're just humans. But, but if God actually has an opinion then what we've got to do is evaluate the claims about God's opinions to see what of those make sense or founded in truth and are reliable, et cetera. And so that, that God gets to, if God says, listen, this is the way to me, 
and this is the only way that I accept, or this is the this is the only thing I'm looking for, or or even if it's just this is the way I'm telling you about. Even if there are others, I'm only giving you one. Like if you even no matter how God comes at it, if he comes at it like that, well then that that's a claim that that he's the one who gets to decide and us saying, well, but exclusivity, that doesn't seem that doesn't seem fair, mm-hmm. you know. But that's that's okay. I'm the he he's the one we're trying to please. And so he's the one who knows. Again, it's like telling Colonel Cole, it's not fair that I can't point the the pointy in at me and pull the trigger. Like, I mean, I'm just telling you that's gonna get you killed. Mm-hmm. And so for God to say, No, this is the way to me, this is the way to a right relationship with me. I'm not going with any others. This it's this one. Well, that certainly is prerogative, isn't it? I mean, it's it's a, it's I'm allowed to tell people how to approach me. Mm-hmm. I'm allowed to have boundaries on how you love me or serve me or whatever. I'm allowed to do that. Every human is. It's just fascinating that we would strip God of that option. That God doesn't get to have boundaries and God doesn't get to have perspectives and opinions and God doesn't get to have what he's drawn out as the way. And that's um, the nature of truth. Truth just by its definition is going to be exclusive. Right. In yes. that it's just any other options. Two plus two is four and three or five are just wrong answers and that's right. exclusive right. and that's the nature of it. That's your name is Colson. And I could be sincerely, I've been sincerely wrong about people's names before. Colston. Yeah. Or I call you <laughs> Coleman since I worked with Coleman Ross, so but it just, it just means that's right. the nature of truth. And so even like your flower illustration yeah. on, a, on a different note, if the doctor tells you you have cancer, right. You don't get to decide, okay, well, so a spoonful of sugar every day. That's what I want. That'll cure my cancer. It's right. Like, Sorry, you don't get to pick that. Like that's that's right. just not. Mm. You could do that, but you'd be wrong. It, it right. won't help right. your cancer. And so, in the same way, I need to know. Okay, what does God say my mm. my malady is, and then what does God say is the cure? What What did He provide as the mm-hmm. as the solution? Did I use the illustration here about the party? So I wanted you to come to my party. I don't think so. Okay. Doesn't sound familiar. I'll give it a back. Yeah, yeah. If yeah, you got an invitation from me that said, "Hey, I'm having a birthday party." Um, Friday night and the directions to my house were when you leave the church parking lot, um, you can head South on 69 (laughs) or North on 69. It's up to you. And you can travel, I don't know, as many miles as you want and then turn on right or left on any street that you like, pick the best house that you see there and you're at my party. And anyone right away would go, no, I'm not. That doesn't, I that doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And so <laughs> I've the, not heard this one. The point is it, if I gave you those directions, it actually doesn't sound like I really want you at my party. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. That's no, a great yeah. way to say it. But if I'm very specific, like turn right, not left, go 3.5 miles. Here's my actual address on this street. That mm-hmm. sounds like I want you at my party. And yeah. so when God gives us very particular directions on here is how you get to my party in heaven, the banquet, mm-hmm. the, the big eternal, you know, wow, awesome place. Yeah. It's because he wants you there. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.